You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We're in a sermon series called Ship Shape. Before we get into what that's all about, uh, as always, there's a time for questions and answers at the end. If you have a question or an answer to a question post, feel free to send that. There's the text. Wi-Fi password is right there if you need it. Love Thermalito, capital L, capital T. But we are talking about ship shape. There's all kinds of ships in our life. could be a little cheesy when I, when I say this, but there's all kinds of ships in our life that we need to get uh, ready, steady, uh, so that we can have a foundation to live our life on. Uh, we're talking about things like, well, I have, I have a slide for all that, focusing on the ships. We're talking about discipleship, worship, leadership, relationships, hardship, stewardship, workmanship, all these vital parts of our lives that if we don't think about them intentionally and we don't get them rock steady, then we will uh, have trouble, we'll have difficulty in life. That quote that I used from Eugene Peterson was really helpful for me. All the water in the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside, nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. We are making sure this thing that we're doing, the ship that we have, is airtight, lock solid. And I'm thinking for this, not just as you as individuals, but also as as a church. I've said this a few times in the past, but I don't know if you know, but the ancient Christians thought about ships as churches, upside down churches, because we live in an upside down kingdom. And so that's the, I don't know, ship language. I should have done that for this series. Like whole, that's the, they thought of it like Noah's Ark. This is the raft of salvation, really. And so as we think about our own individual lives and we think about what kind of church we want, we are making sure that our lives and the body of Christ are airtight, that we can weather the storms and make it through life for sure. We're thinking about building a shed out here. Well, I was going to buy one because I don't know how to build stuff. And then I had some people with like rudimentary basic skills were like, this would be really easy. We could build this. And I was like, you are incredible. And they're like, really? It's not that hard. And I was like, "Ah, uh, I could write a song about you building a shed. But anything beyond that is beyond me. Um, We're going to build a shed out here. And, And one of the things you need to do when you start building a project like this is you need to have a plan. Someone needs to know what the order is of operations, right? Otherwise, if it was me, I would just show up with a hunk of wood and just start nailing some stuff together, and we would have basic structure, basic shelter if we were ever in desperate need, but wouldn't save anybody from anything long term. And the reason I'm talking about that is because I think the bad news for today as we talk about the type of topic that we're going to talk about today is that we don't often come with plans about stuff. Some of us do. Some of us think deeply about our lives, have intentions, have goals, but most of us don't have any long-term goals, plans that are written out in any concrete way. This comes from a study out of Oregon. Uh, Two-thirds of Americans do not have a plan for their lives. That's most of us. Not all of us, though. Some of you are like, I know every day what is going to happen from here till 75. Two-thirds of us don't know what's going to happen. We have no plan they're, they're writing this article because some Nike executive was writing a book about how to plan your life, but I thought it was surprising that two-thirds of us, and then I wasn't surprised because I didn't have that. I didn't have a long-term plan for my life. I remember being 15 years old and going, I just, I have no idea what my plan is. Somebody was like, you thought about college? I was like, mm, I don't know. 
have no long-term plan. My grandfather said I'd go to jail. My mom said I could live home as long as I wanted because I was a mama's boy. Somewhere between there, I was going to have everything I needed. <laughs> no long-term plan for my life. And, and living in communities uh, like we live in, a lot of people's plan is to survive. And so this is not a knock on anyone. I mean, life's hard. We're just, a lot of us are just trying to survive, just trying to figure out what's coming up the next few days or the next week or how to make this paycheck stretch. But there's a way in which if we don't have any long-term goals, plans, we're not thinking intentionally about our lives, it can get taken in a lot of different directions. Not to leave you hanging on the Nike executives thing, but uh, here's what he said. Four steps, uncover your life's wishes. Build your timeline, turn your timeline into an actionable plan, and then keep the plan. Simple as that, four easy steps. Buy his book, $29.99, Amazon.com. Also, though, he does say writing it down. So based on your life's wishes, you know, put a one to ten goal on them, and he says writing them down is super important. There's something concrete about writing them down. But lots of us don't have actionable plans for what's going on in our life, what we're doing, where we're going. Most of us are not intentional about our life, life goals and directions. And this is especially true when it comes to our spiritual life. And so what I'm going to talk about today is the Bible's spiritual plan system for how our life should go and in what direction it should go and what the goal is of our spiritual life. And this spiritual system is called discipleship, which is our first ship. And really, at the heart of all the other ships in my mind, every other ship is built on discipleship. Continuing the bad news, this is one of my favorite thinkers, Dallas Willard. He was a professor of philosophy at USC down south, uh, but he loved Jesus immensely, wrote lots and lots of stuff about how to follow Jesus well. And one thing he constantly hit on was why we don't do discipleship. The church is very good at making converts, but Jesus never asked us to make converts. Jesus asked us to make disciples. And so here's one of the quotes that I love best. But just there is the problem. Who among Christians today is a disciple of Jesus? In any substance of the word disciple, a disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner, even if only a beginner, steadily learning from Jesus how to live the life of the kingdom in the heaven, of the heavens into every corner of human existence. So not only is the bad news that I think that some of us aren't very thoughtful or intentional about where our lives are heading, but then deeper, not very thoughtful or intentional about where our spiritual lives are heading, and even deeper, maybe some ways, in some ways, the church has gotten off track on what our goal, direction, intention was supposed to be as far as following Jesus, as far as following the way of the master. Most of us are not intentional about our spiritual lives. Here is the good news from Matthew 28, 16 through 20, setting it up. Uh, Jesus has lived his life. He has taught he has showed the disciples, his followers, what life is like, what the kingdom of God is like. He enters into Jerusalem. He has uh, battled with the religious leaders of the day who misrepresent God and God's ways. He has gone to the cross. He has died. He has been resurrected, and he has told his disciples to meet him in Galilee. And this is his final word to them before his departure, before he ascends to the right hand of the Father from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. These are the last words of his earthly ministry, uh, according to Matthew. We get some more in Luke and more in Acts. But for Matthew, these are the last words. 
It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. 11 because Judas is gone. They went to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, which is maybe one of my favorite lines in scripture, that these disciples who've just witnessed everything come and worship, but some doubted. And I think this is totally off topic, but that leaves a lot of room in our faith to have a lot of questions while also staying connected to Jesus. Some doubted. Jesus came near and he spoke to them and he says, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. You know how I preach three points, head, heart, hands. I think there's something that God wants us to know, something that God wants us to experience ourselves personally inside, and something that God wants us to do with our hands. And the first thing that I think God wants us to know in this ship called discipleship is this. The goal of our faith is to look like Jesus. I preach on this often. It radically transformed my idea of what we were doing. And how I always talk about this is I just assumed that once you got saved, you just had to do everything you could to hold on to that salvation. And it was you were going to lose it. It was going to get lost. You were going to mess it up. And, and this caused a lot of anxiety in my life. And there were ways in which I th- wished I could just meet Jesus when I was 80. And that would solve everything, right? Because I wouldn't lose it. And I wouldn't have to hold so tightly to it. I wouldn't have to be so worried about it. But this idea that there's actually an adventure, there's direction, there's a goal in which we can focus our energies to the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are being transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus. The goal of your faith isn't that you don't go to hell someday. The goal of your faith is that you look more and more like Jesus in this age and the age to come. I can give you the big words. If you want to look them up at home, it's called theosis. Ooh, theosis. At the end of the day, what you need to know is that Jesus is our example. He's our savior, and he's our example. I have a lot of verses. If you're like, you need to prove this, James, get ready. <laughs> Luke 9, 23, and Jesus said, this is the famous discipleship call for everyone. If anyone would come after me, let him or her, what's up, Bible translation, deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus saying the point is that we follow him. And like literally, we're following Jesus. And Jesus says what that's going to look like is a denial of self, which Jesus did when he stepped down from heaven, the throne of heaven, to identify with us. And we have to take up our own cross like Jesus does. In some ways, metaphorically. And for a lot of Christians, that is meant literally. But at the end of the day, Jesus invites us to follow him, closely behind him. Romans 8, 29, God decided in advance that we would be conformed to the image of his son. This is the goal of our faith, that we would look like Jesus, be conformed to the image of Jesus. More verses? Okay, you got it. 2 Peter 2, 21, Jesus left you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. That's 2 Peter. That's Peter, the Peter, the apostle Peter, like the head of the church. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Jesus. Are you done? One more. The one who claims to remain in Jesus ought to live in the same way as he lived. The goal of our faith is that we would become like Jesus, which uh, was, I'm just, it was 
paradigm shifting for me. It was transformative, and it helped me direct my faith instead of just sitting and hoping and being anxious. It, it, it allowed me to take steps and to move forward and give me goals. It was life-giving to me that there was actually a goal for this faith that we have, and it wasn't just show up. It wasn't just like hope something happens. I wasn't just sitting around ra- waiting for God to just like blast me every once in a while with blessings or goodness. Like there was actually things for me to do and a direction for me to have. We do this conforming to the image of Jesus or following his footsteps or living in his example. We do this through a process called discipleship. And discipleship is learning to follow Jesus so we can become like Jesus. This is what discipleship is. Scary word because it has the word discipline in it sometimes. And we're like, hey, I don't want any part of that. But really, it's learning to follow Jesus so that we can become like Jesus. Three parts to this that I'm going to break it down. Information, imitation, and innovation. Those are the three parts of discipleship. You need to know what Jesus is like if you're going to follow Jesus. If you're going to become like Jesus, you need to know what Jesus is like. And the best place we get that information is from James. I'm the only source that you're going to get the true revelation of Jesus Christ. No, the Bible. Check everything I say against this. If you give me $30 a month, I'll teach you about Jesus. I'm totally kidding. This is all you need. I have 100 of these. If you need one, let me give you one. Everything we need to know about Jesus is in here. It's all the information we need. Imitation is two parts. We need to do what Jesus does, but the hard part of that is, and we're going to hear that later, how do we do that today? How do we do that on Tuesday at 1130 when our coworkers are being rude, right? Like, what, what would Jesus do in that situation? We need to find people that have the qualities of Jesus as we read them and begin to learn from them. And lastly, innovation. You need to make it your own because Jesus is not asking you to become a robot. You are you, and God has made you, and you are incredible, image of God, Holy Spirit dwells in you, and there's no one like you, and so you have to figure out what it means to follow Jesus as you are. Information, imitation, imitation, innovation. Discipleship is learning information to follow Jesus, imitation, so that we can, we, innovation, can become like Jesus. This is Rembrandt. I love Rembrandt for a couple reasons. I mean, he's just a master of the arts, but um, he was obsessed with two faces. One of them was his own. He just a million self-portraits. And the other one was Jesus. Being in the 1500s in Europe, there was a lot of religious art that was done. But the thing I love about Rembrandt is he changed the way art happens when it comes to religious art. So before Rembrandt and leading up to Rembrandt, and even in Rembrandt's own day, uh, Jesus was a a hazelnut, blue-eyed European, strong, skinny nose, broad shoulders, the the ideal European prince. This is who Jesus was. Rembrandt, living where he lived, there was a Jewish community next door, and he went to the community and he asked for someone to sit down for his portraits of Jesus. And he changes the way art happens in Europe around Jesus. So this is called um, a portrait of a young Jew, and a lot of scholars believe that this is his model for his depiction of who Jesus is darker hair, more Jewish features. Um, Also, it was a really big deal if you're an art historian that the head was tilted. No one ever did that in Jesus' paintings before. It was always straight on, just staring you down until morning. So much more human. So he humanizes Jesus, softens Jesus, and makes him less the ideal European prince. I bring that up because you have to have a good information about who Jesus is 
And I'm thankful for Rembrandt for changing the way we get to depict Jesus in our... You have to have good information if you're going to be a good disciple. It's always from the Bible. This is the most important source you can have about who Jesus is as we begin this discipleship journey. But we have to learn how to imitate Jesus in our own time. That's the innovative part. And we do that by finding people who look and act like Jesus and learn from him. And I'm hoping even now you're coming up with people in your mind that say that you say, that person looks like Jesus in this way. This person was very humble. This person was giving. I can learn from them. And that's how we begin this discipleship journey, for sure. This is one of my favorite artists right now named Propaganda. I heard, I, first time I ever heard from him was a concert about six months ago. And then as I've been going to the gym, um, I put on music that I don't normally listen to. For, so I listen to like a ton of rap. Just like back when I was in eighth grade, I was listening to all the rap. And then I got away from it. And now when I go to the gym, that's the only thing that gets me going. So I've been putting on propaganda albums. This guy loves Jesus. And the question that he is uh, getting asked here is about discipleship. Why is it so important? I'm going to let him finish this point for us. Here's propaganda talking about discipleship. Discipling and discipleship is important essentially because Jesus told us to. That's, I mean, that's the short answer because he said to do it. Um, but I think the long answer is the reality is like, how do you, how do you know what to actually do? Anybody can, if you, if you're literate, you can open a Bible and read, okay, I'm supposed to be the priest of my home. I'm supposed to be good in, I'm supposed to be, uh, you know, good in business. Okay, I'm supposed to do this. Yeah, but like, okay, on Tuesday at 1130, like, what do I do? I stole that line from him. You know what I'm saying? Um, but the model for which it seems as though God just understands human beings, and the reality is we need to see somebody doing that, you know, and uh, someone to come walk alongside of you and just say, hey, homie, this is how you do it. You know, um, this is how this is how this life is lived out. I think of just the most simple examples of like, you know, I grew up in, in Los Angeles and uh, right around. I was young enough to see like the high school boys starting like like the like the whole skateboarding scene, like, you know, the Dogtown stuff. Like I lived close enough to that to that area to see this culture being started at the same time. You know, I grew up with a lot of graffiti artists and B-boys and stuff like that. And how you learned how to ollie was one of the eighth graders, you went outside on the curb and he was like, look, this is how you do it. No, do your feet like that. Like, that's how you do it. You know what I mean? And you became, and you were part of the crew because you were part of the crew, you know? Uh, and, and since you were part of us, I'm gonna show you how to do this. You know what I'm saying? With my family, like, I didn't have to, I didn't have to try out to be my, my, my parents' child. There was no auditions for that. No, you are already my kid. Now I'm going to show you what it means to be a part of this family. We wash dishes at this time. We respect our elders. This is where we do this. So that was happening as we were living, you know, and I think it's the same with the body of Christ. Like, no, you're in here because Christ brought you in. Now let me show you how to live it. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that that's ultimately that's that's just how God knows. That's how we work. The skateboard analogy went over my head because uh, I don't like pain. And someone was like, if you want to learn how to skateboard, you've got to embrace the pain. And I was like, well, I just don't have to learn, I guess. That's a skill that you guys can have. I don't need to be a part of that. I like this. And he has a song about this that I love about education. And really, discipleship flows throughout some of his music. It's just this idea that, like, 
we learn best by seeing other people do it and imitating them. And this is all discipleship is, learning to be like Jesus, imitating what we read here, with the best Jesus qualities we see in other people, and learning to make it our own in our own situation. And that is point number one. The goal of our spiritual life is to look like Jesus with those three parts, information, imitation, and innovation. What do I think God wants us to feel or experience, especially based on the passage that we just read? Fully supported, empowered, equipped, and encouraged. Look how Jesus couches this. I mean, it's a command, and propaganda tells us that. He says, hey, we do discipleship because Jesus tells us to. But Jesus couches that command in two very supportive Back on. Uh, I've received all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. And I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Anything we do with discipleship is couched in a ton of support. That God is with us. Yeah, there's all kinds of ways in which we're messed up and we're sinful, we're rebellious, and, and those things are getting healed by Jesus. But a lot of times we use those as an excuse not to do this. This is too hard. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be holy. Religious people are weird. Whatever it is, there's a lot of uh, excuses we make not to kind of take our faith seriously. But Jesus wants to know that as we make that decision to start following him, we're couched fully in support. Here's another one of my favorite verses. 2 Peter 1.3. 1-4 is amazing, so read on past this. But by his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us. And in the Greek, everything means everything. That's a dumb pastor joke. Every pastor has to do that. Everything means everything. We've given everything we need, everything we need, we have in Jesus who has called us. Uh, guys, you know about phone wallet keys. Yeah. The triple tap, I don't know if you do it. I do it. Phone keys wallet, like this. And uh, there's a, you know, you're leaving the house. You just do this. This is all you need. Ladies, I don't know if you know, but that's how the society we live in, that's how it's bent towards men. We just, care, we just go into the zoo. We just need phone wallet keys, you know. Whatever it is, we just take that, those three things. But there's sometimes when we tap our pockets and something's missing. And you can feel it right away. And then that overwhelming, anxious feeling comes over, like, where's my keys? This has happened to me a few times this year. Uh, where's my keys? And, I'm, and because I'm a sinful human being, it's somebody else's fault. So I'm like, kids, where are my keys? And they're like, I have no use for those, Dad. And I'm like, I can't believe you lost them. And then, uh, and then I'm asking Aaron, Aaron, what did you do with them? And um, this has been, we've been married for 15 years, so like this is a 15-year-old wound that we touch every once in a while where I'll be like, why do you hide my stuff? <laughs> and, then, uh, and then that's a way to like, I, I'm just trying to get her to feel as escalated as I feel about being late to this meeting. And I'm like, don't touch my stuff. And then she'll be like, I didn't touch any of your stuff. And like my stuff's laying everywhere. And she's like, if you just put it away, it would be where you left it. And so, which everybody knows that, right? And it's 1,000%, I mean, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, it's my fault. Um, and then about two times this year this happened. Well, last year, we're in the new year. It's there in my back pocket the whole time. The whole time. And you feel like such a dummy. 
And like just as I was getting ready to order executions on my family, I pulled them out of a, a different pocket. And that's what that verse reminds me of, is that I have everything I needed all the whole time. But I let all this anxiety come up in me, and I get all this frustration come up with me, and I let all that sin of blame on other people come up in me, and I had it the whole time. Aaron read, the, read this quote to me by Barbara Brown Taylor, where she's like, there's, there's such a way in which sometimes we're always longing, we're always looking for the X, for the treasure, and really what we need to come to learn is that we've been standing on the X the whole time. That sometimes we just don't look down, because we're always looking out. And this is true with discipleship. There's a way in which we, we don't take things seriously because, honestly, we just probably don't want to. Uh, we've seen it go badly. Seems like it's going to be a lot of work. Um, things seem fine the way they are right now. But Jesus is calling us to a deeper life. Jesus is calling us to have a different goal and direction than the world has in this thing called discipleship. And we use a lot of excuses about not being perfect or whatever, leaving that up for other people. But ultimately, God wants you to know that you're fully supported in this. That it is a little bit of a scary step to step out and start following Jesus in a profound way. But he has given you everything you need, everything you need to do that you have. We often think we're lacking. We have everything we need. Jesus said that he's with us every day forever. And he is the one who has all authority from heaven and earth with him. We lack nothing. So I'm encouraging to do this spiritual discipleship thing. Make it a goal to think about following Jesus more clearly, more intentionally, knowing that Jesus has everything you need. You are created in the image of God. The Holy Spirit, once you begin following Jesus, comes to live in you and God abides in you. You have a community of people around you who are supporting you. You have everything you need. What does God want us to do? Last point, uh, disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. We see it a little bit in our own passage. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Jesus says, go make disciples. They are disciples. They need to make disciples. They are disciples. They need to make disciples. The first call, Matthew 4, the first thing Jesus does in his public ministry after he gets tempted by Satan and everything is that he calls disciples. And what does he say? Come follow me. That is an invitation to be in relationship with Jesus. And that's how God always works. It's always, the first word is always love. It's always relationship. It's always proximity. It's always closeness. But the second word is always challenge. It's always push. It's always encouragement. Come follow me, Jesus tells them. And I'll show you how to fish for people, the old language. I'll make you fishers of men, right? Disciples make disciples. I'm going to say it a little bit more harshly. Brace yourselves. You aren't a disciple until you disciple. Take that for what it's worth. You can, you can tell me I'm wrong. Back it up with this. Tell me I'm wrong if you want. This is uh, Kodahira Watanabe, Japanese sword maker, um, and you should watch the whole video. It's incredible. But essentially, he is from Japan, wanted to spread Japanese culture. He wants to do it through sword making, which is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. But when he told his family he wanted to be an ancient sword maker, they said, no, you can't make a living doing that. 
And he said, well, I think I'm going to go try it for a little bit. And they said, if you go be a sword maker, don't ever come home. And now he's like the greatest sword maker in the whole world. He's like, they thought I wasn't going to make a living. I'm killing it in the sword business. <laughs> I bet they wish they were still in my life now. Uh, no, that's, that's not at all. There. <laughs> he's way more humble than that. But I pulled apart this video, uh, last video, I pulled this section out about how he's passing this on and what it means to have a disciple. And so I thought we could learn from Japanese sword maker a little bit about making disciples.そうでなければ文化というものは風化してしまうのです。私が師匠から受け継いだのは技術だけではありません。師匠の拙い対する思いを受け継ぎまして、私も弟子には私の刀の思いを伝えていきたいと思いますし、弟子も自分の刀に対
and your life for Jesus. Uh, as a spouse, you are co-discipling together, that, that, that you are a community of disciples growing and learning from one another. God is teaching you different things at different times, and you need to be sharing that with one another. Same thing happens with friends. If you have friends that are in the faith, you need to be sharing with each other, growing, learning from one another, listening and learning, but also sharing about what God's doing in your, in your life. If you belong to a church, which you're here right now, lucky you, you have a responsibility to everyone younger than you, age-wise and maturity level. That's your job. And, and really, I, as I see the church as a family, whatever life stage you are in, the people around you, those are, that, I mean, that's your spiritual family. You could be an aunt, an uncle, a mom or a dad or a big brother or sister or whatever it is, but in some way, the people below you need you to pass on your passion and faith and what you've learned about Jesus. I don't know if you know, I heard the statistic. I have not verified it, but it's something like 80% of our teens don't stay connected to a faith community after they graduate. They need you. They desperately need you. I need you. I got to meet with some people this week, and I'm already edified and learning and growing. It is just incredible when we get together and we share our heart, passion, and faith and information about Jesus. Any questions or comments before we wrap this up? That is your 30-minute overview about discipleship. I did get one. Uh, do you have any advice on how to know which is head, heart, hands? I feel like sometimes, maybe most times, I don't know what the word is, me, we, rush to hands. Um, there are different, yes, there are different people. I think some people like to stay in the idea, the world of ideas. That's me. I love ideas. So I can just hang out in head all day. So having to go to heart to hands was really important for me. But there are some people that are very practical, and it doesn't make sense until we're doing it. Um, and so I'm absolutely sure that there are people, sometimes they are too quick to rush to hands. And they never sometimes think deeply about what they're doing. They just are ready to do it. Um, is my dad in here? My dad's not in here. He's like, let's just do it. What are we waiting for? Like, we'll just fail and figure it out and do better next time. And I'm like, I, I need to avoid failure for my own ego's sake. But also, like, just kind of lazy. I don't want to. If I don't, you know, I want to do it right the first time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you have to figure out which one is you. Like, there's some people that just want personal experience all the time, and they're not willing to share it, you know. And so um, everybody, I think, struggles with one of these, or at least I don't mean struggle, but one of them is their dominant one. And so um, we should be trying to maintain the balance and have the equilibrium there. Waiting for one more. Great. Thanks for the question. I hope I answered it. If I didn't, text me again. Wrapping this up. Clayton, will you hit that for me? One more. Lastly, I have a process of discipleship that I'd like to let you know about. I'm willing to meet with anybody, anytime, especially during school hours. I'll meet you at Starbucks at 8.15 or 8.30. I'll meet you on your lunch break. If you have free time, I'll meet you anytime in between. It's actually 21 weeks, but I'm just giving you the seven because that feels more manageable. And so if you're really interested in this, put this on the back of your green card. Just write discipleship and put your name somewhere and I'll get to you. I have 10 copies of this if somebody wants. What it looks like is um, seven basic 
commands of Jesus. So we're just kind of going through kind of uh, the teachings of Jesus in seven weeks, the seven most basic ones. If you're interested after that, we talk about spiritual practices. And if you're interested after that, we talk about calling, direction, purpose. And so please come grab one of those if you're interested and write on the green card. But I would love to go through that with you. And, there's that, and if you don't want to do it with me, there's other people who have gone through it, Miranda and Aaron and Joe Bell and Julianne. And so I, I didn't ask them if I could volunteer them, but I just did. So that's what that looks like. Wrapping up today with our head, Clayton. Uh, the goal of our faith is to look like Jesus. One more. Fully supported. Jesus wants to feel fully supported, empowered, equipped, and encouraged. Last point. Disciples make disciples, and here's your spiritual practice. One more click. Three questions. It might be three more clicks. Go ahead. What's your plan to learn about Jesus? Who is helping you grow? And who are you helping to grow? Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you that we may come and learn, hear, be encouraged. Some of us have been doing this for a long time. So thank you for the encouragement to keep going. The reminder that we are fully supported by you. May we feel that. May we experience that especially when things are hard, times are rough. But for those of us who it is new to, would you help us take away some ideas that we can start today, that we can begin thinking deeply. Thank you that we have a direction forward for our spiritual life, ultimately that we are being conformed to your image. Help us to do that. We cannot do it without you. We need your help. Bring people into our lives to help us do that. And be uh, helping us think about people that we can help on their journey as well. And Father, as we come now to a time of communion, would you take these elements, blessed by your Holy Spirit, and make it spiritual nourishment for our journeys. That as we come and meet with you, would you meet with us as you promised to do. And may we come away from this experience a little closer to you and closer to one another. A little bit more different than when we came. And all together, church, would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name.